The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Fold is brought to you by O-Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. Kia ora, it's uh, Duncan here. I am actually taking a holiday right now and honestly, I need it. One of my shoulders is rising up and I'm not sleeping well, but because uh, it's been a year, you know. So while I'm away, they're going to play a couple of... Uh, basically previously recorded uh, episodes of The Fold. You may or may not have, have heard them, but uh, they're good, and I hope you enjoy them. Kakite. No mai hoki mai kia The Fold, ko Duncan Greve toko ingoa. My guest this week, uh, Viva La Dirt League, which is a... What is it? And that's kind of what's interesting. It's it's a YouTube channel that does satire of game logic, but it also exists on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook. Uh, it is based in West Auckland, but has a global audience. It's funded in part by YouTube advertising and, and to a lesser extent by other platforms, but it also has a, a very active Patreon uh, they recently wanted to create a studio so that they could do better versions of their work, and they went to Kickstarter and asked for a hundred grand US. That's a pretty sizable sum. When it closed, they'd made two and a half million. That gives you some sense of the passion of their fans. You know, five of them were willing to pay thirty thousand US to come and visit the studio, like. This, this, it's quite extraordinary and not particularly well known down here. And I think they are in in many ways like a, a very sort of fascinating and visceral example of the modern media company slash collective. They, they are part of the creator economy, though, as you'll hear, they don't really know what that is. What they are is, is very smart business people who know exactly what their audience is, what they're about. Um, and I think they are a sort of an object lesson for all of the New Zealand media about what sort of creativity with form and distribution and the possibilities of being somewhere but having a global audience uh, really sort of can can do for you. And and I think as we are sort of, as a nation, moving into this place where we're trying to figure out what a, a merged TVNZ and RNZ should look like, I think the kind of thing that uh, Viva La Dirt League do should be as interesting to us as what, you know, the BBC or, or, or uh, the ABC does because... There is something about the the way that audiences consume content and and how you sort of stick with it and nurture them that is, I think, really fascinating. So this is Viva La Dirt League on the fold. 
Kia ora koutou and uh, welcome to the fold, Vevela Dirt League. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks for having here. So I wonder if you could start, because um, I'm going to be gratuitous here and assume a level of ignorance because you are like, you've, you are that sort of classic internet phenomenon of incredibly passionate, globally dispersed um, phenomenon. So just can you, for, for our audience who might not be familiar, just, just give, give the pitch about the, the why uh, of, of Viva La Dirt League. The, the why or the, the, the what? I mean, the what? Like, the what? The, the what? what and the what? Well, like, what, what, like, what, what is it? Yeah, the, it's, the, a, it's the, a what. It's the, a the what. The what. I mean, the what's really easy. It's just we are. Uh, I, I don't like using the word, but we are YouTubers or you know, internet content creators that make uh, really high quality comedy sketches for YouTube, Facebook, now TikTok as well, Instagram, all of kind of all of the above, uh, focusing primarily on video games and kind of nerd culture so our main shtick is what we call game logic so looking at the the logic and the mechanics of video games and going what would that be like if it was translated to real life so for example in a fantasy rpg eating a wheel of cheese is how you refill your health so if you've been stabbed or burnt or got peppered with arrows just eat a wheel of cheese and you know it's all fine so i mean and and Almost everything you said is like an unimaginably strange thing as of like sort of 10, 10 years ago. And yet now it is a multi-million dollar business opportunity. And that that's basically the reason I got you here because I think it's just so fascinating and something that there are things that you know that if we were to know it more broadly in, in New Zealand's media, we would be doing a much better job of just not aging out of relevance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. The, yeah. That's basically the thesis. So can you talk about, um, you know, the the way that you use these different platforms and how they're sort of monetized, without wanting to kind of reveal any trade secrets, but a lot of this stuff does happen in the open, but the how, how you sort of monetize and, and view each of those platforms in turn? So like all of our platforms uh, have ads, that's how we make your main. That's your main kind of income revenue. But are you specifically talking about Kickstarter, or do you want to know? No, about- no we'll get to the Kickstarter in time because that's just completely insane. Yeah. But I'm, I'm particularly thinking about the the, the sort of visual. You know, so YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and and TikTok, which I've heard is like you know obviously it's massively popular, but a lot of creators are like, yeah, where's the money the, come from exactly? The, uh, We're still is- trying to figure that part out for TikTok. <laughs> we don't quite know. Yeah, for TikTok. Yeah, I mean it is kind of what Ron said is the predominant amount of our money comes from the ad revenue that we get on YouTube and Facebook. TikTok doesn't actually have that yet. It's, um, got, it's got it kind of technically, but it's like us, it's, yeah. yeah. It, yeah. it, it's strange, and it's not also not very much money from TikTok. But um, it, it is literally just kind of a bit of a math equation. It doesn't quite work out this way, but a thousand, sorry, for a million views, you'll get roughly a thousand dollars, which is, I mean, when FTV and Z or MediaWorks are listening to this, they're going, "Oh God, that's literally nothing." Jeez, how the <laughs> hell do you live on that? But or a big we make it work secret to our success is making content for the world rather than just New Zealand as well. <laughs> we um. I, there's a lot of content that's being made in New Zealand that's just made for, for Kiwis or and geo, geo-blocked so nobody outside of New Zealand can actually, you know, see the content, which is just so limiting and is something that um, yep, surprises us because we 100% Especially considering there's so much good New Zealand content absolutely. out there that the world would absolutely love. Yeah. Like I understand things like the news are geo-blocked, like oh, the, sure. the rest of the world's not going to care about New Zealand yeah, news. Yeah. But some of our content's amazing. It would do so well on the on the world stage. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that, that that's the thing. I mean, and 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 I, the the reason this is all so relevant is like obviously that one of the big local media stories recently has been the the merger or the you know, forthcoming merger of TVNZ and RNZ, and you know my sort of fear as a sort of practitioner, but also someone who you know if we're going to do this, we should try and make it work. Is that I think that. Um, People like Viva La Dirt League and Shit You Should Care About are much more instructive about how you would go about, you know, constructing a modern media entity than, you know, trying to basically do what RNZ and TVNZ do, but on the internet, but more. So, so tell me about how you how you built this thing, and because it it does feel like YouTube is still the kind of the core of this thing. You, you call yourself you, reluctantly YouTube Facebook, YouTubers. Yeah. Um, you know what? What is the what was the sort of unlock? Because I remember you know I had I had your interview with um, with Matt and Jerry, and you talked about this kind of "Are we even good?" moment, which oh, is about yeah. where, you, where you turned up, um, Adam, and uh, he just popped into existence as we were like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so Fairy like, godmother, yeah, yeah. How, how did you build it out? So, um, a real quick uh, origin story. It started doing just for fun. Yeah, it was just a hobby. We made StarCraft parody music videos. Just for shits and giggles. Like, yeah. we never had any aspirations to anything. Yeah. And they did relatively well at the time. And so that was how the whole thing began. And then as the years progressed, that kind of died off. Uh, that wasn't the biggest kind of uh, sensation on YouTube anymore. Yeah, no. The the, the novelty had sort of started to yeah. wear off a little bit. And we were and, starting to... I don't think we necessarily wanted to be the guys that yeah. made StarCraft parody music videos for and our lives. It's, it's also a little, little bit limiting for the most part. You're going <laughs> to sure. go so far yeah. with one game oh, equal totally. music video. <laughs> that game was losing popularity as well. And just the amount of work that goes into parody music videos as well is absurd. Like, yeah. And the so return the, investment was not there. The next uh, thing was Alan had the idea that let's start doing this um, this board series, this like this little retail series of just bit of two at the time, just two guys, just you know, clowning around in a, in a retail store, just kind of exploring a bit of basic retail logic. Yeah, that was it. And and it did really badly. It did. <laughs> well, Re- well, remember Re- the episode. The episode one was meh. Yeah. Episode two in Gangbusters, that oh, was yeah. our most popular video, and we we're like, "This is us for the rest of our lives. We've got it." But it turned out the episode two was just this massive fluke, and we never, not until the like, yeah, recent yeah. days, have we actually uh, like re- reached those numbers again. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that kept us going for a little bit longer. I think <laughs> if we hadn't hit that, what it was, it went like hundreds of thousands. Yeah, of it got views, to half a million. And then episode, was, episode three yeah. was just like one thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. We, we were used to getting like a couple, a couple of thousand views in a week, I guess. Yeah, and then it, this second episode just went, I, got, I just went viral on Reddit randomly, just because yeah. abs- it was about Reddit. Honestly, that might have been the thing that kept us going long enough. <laughs> Maybe. Like, if we hadn't had never got this episode two success, we might have just petered out and never tried to recapture that. But, I don't know. But yeah, I get, and then I guess you guys kind of petered on like two to three thousand views for another good year yeah. until until I came along and kind of was like, let's try other things. And, yeah. and and interestingly enough, board, the series they're talking about was uh well they say that it was losing subscribers every time they uploaded a new board episode. And it even did that for a wee while when I came along as well. But I think really what was happening was the people that were there for the music videos were jumping ship, but it was gaining more people that yeah. wanted to be there for the skit comedy. And then eventually, I mean, today Board's one of the one of the best series yeah. that we do. Still do it, and it's very cult loved by a lot of people. 
There's a lot of discussion about algorithms generally and then the extent to which they, they can be gamed. And there's a, like a natural tension between uh, the creativity that um, that is a natural part of what you do and also the need to follow the, the, the zeitgeist as almost expressed by... Um, by, by what what YouTube and and you know and the kind of interrelating platforms push like you know to what extent do you sort of study that or do you, is that almost like a feel thing? Mm. The old the old algorithm, yeah, yeah. It's the a tough old one. algorithm. Because the algorithm for the longest time has always promoted long videos, which is not what we do. Like, uh, We've mo- really mo- stuck out what we do. We really have pro- potentially to our detriment. To po- potentially to our detriment. Our success is like, it ebbs and flows. We sometimes I think we're ticking all the algorithm boxes, and the, the algorithms like, you, yeah, you guys are our favorite channel on the internet. But then um, suddenly something something changes. Like right recently, it's TikTok, and it's the the whole everybody just wants to TikTok videos. So so the the emphasis from for YouTube and Facebook has really just been pushing those. Kind of vertical Multi- sixty second yeah. videos, multiple short plays, multiple basically. short plays. Honestly, I think the whole journey of social media is a journey towards just shorter and shorter yeah. attention spans. Oh, absolutely! And TikTok is the and we're feeding right into that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you enjoy like like for for you know some people I've had on this show that that attention span shrinkage has been like a source of great anguish for them. It seems yeah. like you're kind of vibing well, with it a little. No, like I, I've always wanted. I always want to use this. Wanted to use Viva as a platform to eventually make feature films. So taking a step <laughs> backwards to sixty second TikToks Wait. has been a really like a real journey for me. For the first time ever, uh, about a month and a half ago, we decided to actually like we always film sixteen by nine normal upload to YouTube in that in that aspect ratio. Uh, we decided for the first time to. Uh, do actual portrait yeah. style nine by sixteen. Our cinematographer Tom was so gutted about having to literally rotate the camera ninety degrees <laughs> to film these things. He was like, "What have I become? What have I done? What have I done?" At a certain point, you'll do it, and it'll never rotate back. Yeah, oh, it'll never God. rotate back. Yeah, <laughs> we'll the see the camera day. the right way up. We're like, that camera looks weird. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm still. It's just again, it's all in service of the algorithm. We're literally, but at the end of the day, the main thing we need are views and to be to get ad revenue to then hopefully make the bigger form content. So it feels like it's oh. a one step forward for hopefully two steps. Sorry, one step back for two steps forward. Hopefully. Although it's still being able to make what we want, which is fun short form. Absolutely, like yeah. our, our usual video on YouTube or Facebook kind of sits in the two to three minute range. So it's not that much of a stretch to drop down to one minute. That, that's interesting. The joke kind of gets easier. Usually, oh, usually writing we, the scripts for them is yeah brilliant. Usually, we <laughs> say that each script kind of has to have the you know the setup, the middle, which is funny, and then the end gag, and then a little button beyond that to head into the outro. These ones literally just kind of need to have set up, the end set, gag. set up gag, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's it. Yeah, and it's great. So easy to write. So, so in terms of the, and again, like you're, it's it's absolutely fine to um, to to blanch at the the specificity of it, but could you provide even like a if you look at the overall revenues of Vivala Dirt League as a very well established business now, like what what sort of percentage comes from, say, advertising versus Patreon versus other income kind of streams? Is that would you be comfortable sharing that? Uh, that yeah, we kind of break it down approximately. Well, what would you say? So we've got the, the the different revenue streams are AdSense, which is just the ads that play on all on like. YouTube, and, YouTube Facebook. and Facebook predominantly. Yeah. 
Um, then you've got sponsored jobs, which is super important. Which is starting to come through yeah. more now. When a, when a job great. says, hey, can you um, hold up this can of Coke? That's never happened, but <laughs> you hold up this can of Coke. And usually usually and it's com- computer games yeah. and computer companies, keyboards and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and then the third one being Patreon, uh, I, I guess, yep. which is yeah. our, our, our hardcore fans just literally p- paying us a regular monthly amount. Yeah. Is there any others? Uh, merchandise, but it, that's, that's pretty only, small in comparison. That's only really small. Oh, oh, and also well. Bandcamp. <laughs> well, how's that well, doing? That, that's we're, we're that's still, a word we're I haven't still, heard in years. <laughs> we, we, do, <laughs> we, still, we still sell our old we get a, We songs. get a few dollars every week. Guys. Especially <laughs> we, now we that's been it. bought by, by Epic, right? Yeah, like, is like, it? Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, once those songs are in the metaverse, then it's, They're out yeah. there. it's over. Oh, but no. by, by far and away, YouTube and Facebook ad revenue... I would, would say, say like accounts 70, 60, for 60, 70? 60 or 70% most months. Yeah. And then sponsorship would be probably 20%. Patreon, 10? I don't know. Am I going over 100% now? <laughs> yeah, no, I think 10% brings it to 100 yeah, I yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. That, that kind of gives total lie to the idea that the only people who can make a living out of the, the creator economy are YouTube and, and Facebook. And obviously they make a very good living. But... Uh, you know, is that something because you're you've got now got this this very long catalogue that that um that there's almost like a level of passive income. Do you, do you have a sense of the split between new material versus mm. the, the back yeah. catalogue? That that changes week to week, month to month as well. It's generally pretty good. Like what yeah, what we're getting from the back catalogue. It is literally an asset of just videos that are making money over in the back in the background. Yeah, it's always present. But again, it goes comes down to the algorithm one yeah. more time. It's honestly like sometimes the algorithm serves up our back catalogue like prominently. About um, this time a year ago, it was massive how much yeah. our back catalogue was being served up to the to the masses. But uh, at the moment, it's actually really low. Yeah. So it, yeah. it changes. And uh, you know, do, there's been yeah, you know, there's been obviously waves of ways of describing this. But the the discussion about the creator economy. Do do you feel like you know you talked about YouTuber being this this term you weren't necessarily comfortable with you know just is is creator economy something that you feel a part of and and how like how much of that is like a a network that you sort of you know like because it's it's just this brand new thing yeah. unimaginable ten, ten even I feel five years ago so separated. From any uh, other creators. What's the, what's the sorry? What's the creator economy? This this. So the the creator economy is the is the is basically people like you, but much more commonly understood as like individual, whether it's YouTubers, Instagrammers, whatever. You're you know you're relatively rare being established across multiple platforms who make a living out of creating content for social media, yeah. and obviously you can do that any one of in a number of different ways. But you seem almost like to me a little bit of a hybrid of the old and the new world in terms of yeah. you are quite. And, and set up as yeah. a business. And be- because of that, we feel, like Alan was saying, we feel very isolated. We're stuck between all of these worlds. We're not We're not really... Uh, film industry. Film, we're not really film industry. We're not really gaming industry. We're not really esports. We're not really YouTubers because YouTubers are vlogs and let's players and beauty artists and that kind of stuff. And yeah, or lower quality and, sketches. That, and, yeah. and so we're stuck between all of these worlds because we are all of them, but also none of them. And in New Zealand, there's like, there's nobody that, or in the world, really, there's nobody that does what we do, but especially in New Zealand. So we can't exactly, you know, tap shoulders with somebody who's doing something similar and be like, do you want to collaborate or, you know. There, there are a few examples, but they're very few and far between. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, it's a it's a really interesting question. I, I feel like we're very much just hovering on the outside, 
somehow making it work and hopefully it keeps working. <laughs> when the New Zealand film industry, when little sections of the New Zealand film industry find out about us from time to time, they're literally blown away by what we're doing. Yeah. And then when the YouTube industry find out about us or think about us, they're like, how how are you doing what you do? Because they know how much money they make on, on YouTube and then realize how much money it costs to do what we do. Yeah, no, we're reinvesting a lot of the money that we make into the content. Oh, man, there's like a million things yeah. I want to talk, to, to talk about at the back of that. Pull that apart. Uh, we'll just take a very <laughs> quick break and then come back with more from Viva La Dirt League. The Fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa, with over 4,000 out-of-home advertising sites nationwide across both street furniture and retail centres. I'm super grateful to O Media for enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has the lowdown on everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market. The opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. Join some of the superstars of the investment and business world as they share advice from their time in the US so you can make your mahi count in this massive market. The Investment Fix Podcast, brought to you by Invest New Zealand. Tune in today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Uh, we're back with Viva La Dirt League now. Where where I want to go with that is is that sense of being like a little bit of an island and and being sort of incredibly visible and you know we'll talk about your Kickstarter shortly. But one thing that just was like eyes out of my head was that five people were comfortable just donating thirty grand apart mm. uh, for this yeah. very specific experience. Um, but the, yeah, but I think that that thing of like being sort of invisible and then when people find you they're like how how is this happening because you break so many of the rules like youtube even very popular ones they, there's a particular kind of aesthetic and set of production values and your your stuff looks incredible it does look you know like i'm not surprised you want to make a feature film because some of your shit looks like it's from a feature Thank film. You, man. so what, what what is it you know like how you know when, when you do meet um or, or or collaborate with uh you know people from whether it's comedy or film or production sector you know what? What do they make of you? Mm. It, yeah, I don't know. It's a, we, we've had a few people from the production, from the normal film industry, I guess you'd call it, on our sets, and the the predominant feedback we get is you guys are breaking all the rules, but somehow making it work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I don't know. I mean, I feel like we make films and well, make our skits rather in a pretty normal way for the most part. Well, I, I just got nothing to compare it to anymore. Like I, I've not been on a like, so big long. feature set or anything in such a long time. Um, I think so I'm the, just used to our way of working. The overriding couple of notes we often get is you just you got the first take and you're happy with it and you moved on. That's yeah. one. 
Which uh, so many other filmmakers yeah. are so scared about. Whereas, as Ron said earlier, yeah. we're editing in our heads. So. We go, that was a good take. You have it with take. Yeah. I didn't see you bumble a line then. Um, I think we got it. Move We've on. We've got the benefit as well of having three heads, yeah. like kind of watching the whole thing the as well. The three headed so, Hydra. Yeah. yeah. So if, if we feel that something wasn't quite right, like we'll all speak up. We'll take the, put the director hat on from time to time or the writer hat. Or the, uh, and I think that's another thing that uh, people, point, yeah. Yeah, uh, people from the industry will, will kind of will see. There wasn't ever a designated director as such, and I'll just see kind of someone just suddenly go, "Oh, cut! Um, no, can we do that differently?" No, nah, and, yeah. and, and people would go, oh, "I don't know who is that." Who's or, or the actor who's, who's literally on yeah. the camera, like it's the close-up, and they're like, "And action!" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm hoping it'll be you, you yourself, there, and, and you just like you don't want to wait for someone to go. Um, can we? Can we do that line again? Action! You just go uh, and um, keep you on the roll. Okay, action! And then you just keep saying your line. I've made a real habit recently of just like delivering a line and being like, "I'm going to do that again," and just like just do it until I'm. Happy with it, and, and also with so nice freedom to that. What are we we get called this and call ourselves it all the time, the three headed hydra. So it happens between the three of us. But we're also so comfortable with our crew now, yeah. That most of some of them will just be like, ah, cut, like just a random random <laughs> member of the you know either yeah. sound guy or the camera guy or someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll be like, oh, what's going on? Oh, a random thing happened. Oh, good. Is that normal? Uh, the, that's not like, normal. No. So, oh my god! If someone other than the AD or director called cut on set, they'd get. Thrown I'm trying out. to think of any ads I've done. I suppose you never see the the sound guy just go. Oh, can we cut? <laughs> yeah, no, I suppose not. Yeah. No, they'll they'll try and get the eye of the AD <laughs> to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah that's crazy. So, I mean, I think the fact of you being in Ireland and being on some level, you know, there's not a natural community for you, which that's kind of like a lonely vigil in some respects but also you should have like an immense amount of pride of having built a thing where no one saw a space yeah. <laughs> and we're slowly building up our crew and you know the Viva Ledet League family and, and also slowly building quite a lot of respect from the New Zealand film industry as well. yeah I mean they should you know like that, that people people watch your stuff and, and that happens with them but doesn't happen every time and it seems like it pretty much does with you the I guess the thing that's like really interesting to me is like I feel like there are so many lessons that you naturally know. Um, do, do you feel like whether it's the New Zealand film industry or New Zealand on air or TVNZ, does that that industry that you're not necessarily a part of does, does it seem to want to know your secrets? Not, not really. really. That, no. that, that's actually the thing that baffles me the most. Yeah. Is that they're like, oh, they're doing their thing. It doesn't apply to us, which it totally does. Like Alan used to work at NZME and I used to work at TVNZ. Mm. And, I mean, even while we're still working, they were moderately successful, obviously significantly bigger now. But um, they just didn't want to really know, did they, for the most part? not at all. Like, I'll get get shoulder tapped by the social team sometimes or the higher-ups sometimes for, like, can you give us tips on how you're doing so well? But we have not heard from anyone in the New Zealand film industry, like, in that sort of area for a long time. Like... We, we, We did... Like five years ago or something, get uh, some funding from New Zealand on air uh, for a series we got called a series we made called Wrecked. But um, yeah, again, generally the we're we're an island. We don't yeah. get we don't get anyone reach out to us. I mean, you are quite confronting to that system, which. I mean, geo-blocking, so sometimes, you know, when they're licensing content, I can understand that that's that's um, part of the license, but it also feels like. There's an insularity to it where, um, you know, New, New Zealand on air is it's the Broadcasting Act gives it some little prescription. But and and I think you've said that the the quantum of your New Zealand audience represents sort of roughly around is it one two percent 
And I understand, like, uh, when you put it like that, I understand why New Zealand and Air and the Film Commission don't care about us because their remit is to fund New Zealand content for New Zealanders. And yet, it's more the lesson side. It's more like, you know, on some level, you have got a, you've got all got three PhDs in the the new media economy. um, And there are things that we should all be sort of hungry, hungry to know. Mm. Like what, what have been the big breakthrough sort of unlocks for you in terms of, you know, both on the, the sort of business side and the, the creative side in terms of things that you've figured out that um, have helped propel you to this, this kind of crazy place you're in? Well, we always are willing to try new things. That's a big part of what we, we, we often test something out and it doesn't quite work. So we'll, you know, drop it, move on to the next thing. Uh, I think we're constantly trying to grow as creators and make content that, or this is another um, big point of ours, we make content that we want to make. Mm. Not having an overlord that's Not telling overlord. us what to make yeah. makes such a big difference. Such a big difference. And it and keep, keeps us hungry to um, continue trying to make bigger and better things yeah. as well. And, and it also gives us the freedom to fail as well. Like we, we um, <laughs> th- there's a good good one that happened quite recently is uh, we did a restaurant sketch about, it was meant to be an analogy for um, for allergens or things you don't like in your food when you get served at a restaurant. And we use the metaphor of having a shit in your salad. Um, and like literally the, the, the gag is there is, it's a Caesar salad and there is a big old Snickers bar that make, looks like a, looks like a turd in the salad. And it went down like a sack of bricks in, uh, on to our, to our audience. Relatively speaking. Relatively. Relatively yeah. But, but yeah. the confidence to try something like yeah. that, yeah. um, is quite freeing for the most part. I remember reading an interview with Greg Churchill, who was like a house DJ in, in Auckland in the 90s, and the line stuck with me that forever that was basically if you're, if you're a DJ and you don't clear the dance floor once an hour, then you are not doing your job, and I feel like there's, there's some <laughs> kind of shit salad uh, yeah, right, lesson right, right. in there. Yeah. I, and I guess, uh, but that freedom thing that you talk about um, does feel on some level antithetical to the, you know, the more prescriptive nature of, you know, whether it's our, our sort of funding bodies or the way that we kind of tightly commodify content, there's there's just a sort of wild west borderlessness to to YouTube that clearly really resonates to you, and also it just feels like it's what younger people are gravitating towards. Inter- like, interestingly, we do we do border ourselves and limit ourselves a wee a wee bit yeah. purely because kind of do have bosses which are YouTube and Facebook and if we're saying too many algorithm. If, it's the algorithm. Yeah. if we're saying too many swear words or we're showing extreme gore or something like that we, we will get demonetized and that's our business so. and I guess as, at the same time we also have set ourselves a goal of releasing X amount of videos per week which is like three so we have to hit specific which is just for us, but oh, also for the algorithm. For us, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's kind of for the algorithm. But in doing that, obviously, limits us to like, okay, well, we really need to crank out this amount of episodes in this sort of space of time. And it's a, it's something that we're constantly trying to get ahead of and make more and more content. So then, you know, once we're months and months ahead and we've got this backlog ready to go, we can hopefully make the bigger content as well. Do you, on on that, I mean, that, that like three 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 episodes a week, I, I assume for for YouTube and Facebook, and then starting to add in like these these kind of different formats for TikTok and so on. 
one of the big things that has, is talked about within the creative creator economy that you are both epitomized and seem only dimly aware of, which I love, <laughs> is burnout. Like, and because it's so often an individual who is not just posting yeah. three times a week, it's like they're doing it alone and multiple times a day and for multiple platforms and terrified of being, of doing something. They're always we're, trying to... We definitely get an element of that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, honestly, right. burnout, burnout is something that we've been talking about a little bit recently. Yeah. Um, M- mainly, I, I feel like we're getting a bit of burnout at the moment, but that's largely in part to the fact that we weren't able to shoot for four months. So we're now trying to chase our tails. Yeah. yeah. During lockdown, obviously, we, we, had, we just burnt through our entire back catalogue of content. Oh, and it was now, heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking just watching it. They, they go the whole pre-film, All our pre-filmed stuff just slowly burning through yeah. and not being able to film and catch up. So that's what we're trying to claw back. At the moment, we're actually just we're we're about a week away from like literally starting the biggest shoot block we will have ever done. Three days away, Ron. Is it three days away? Sun starts Sunday. But we're going to be we're going to be shooting a total of I think it's fourteen filming days over a period of I guess three weeks. weeks. Yeah, Yeah. and and that's just going to be like just we're 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 just trying to get ahead of schedule, but. Apart from the fact that we are pretty burnt out at the moment, um, I think that there's a couple of things that we have done right in our channel that allow us not to generally not to burn out. One is there's three of us, yeah, and and obviously the entire business around us. So if one of us goes down, the other two are there to kind of pick up the slack and keep going. Yeah, and then the second thing, which we get asked by fans all the time, you know, what's the best way to get famous on the internet, and it's doing something you love because if you genuinely love it then you're not going to burn out on it because there's so many people or not so many but i'm sure there's some creators out there who have got famous doing something that they thought they should do to get famous like playing Fortnite on twitch or something yeah and if you're not necessarily the biggest Fortnite fan and you only did it because you thought you'd be able to get famous that way and then you do get famous that way now you have to play Fortnite every single day for the rest of your life (laughs) yeah to keep the money rolling in and you should presumably hate it it's it's kind of crazy seeing channels that are bigger than us just stop yeah, yeah, and they just they 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 and it's often without any video saying I'm going to take a break mm. or they just they just I clearly just walk away from it because which, they're doing something which is unsustainable for them. Which totally. they, maybe they did like it in the beginning. Yeah, but you sure. you play Fortnite for five years and yeah. that's kind of unsustainable. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I guess that's that's the sort of the you know the Facebook and YouTube. They know that there are hundreds, there's hundreds of thousands, there's millions of people doing this. They lose a few at the margins almost as a baked in cost of doing business for them. It has no impact. There's always new new people coming together. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you, you, there's so many different kind of publicly available metrics that show your success, but one which which really screams out that just happened is you guys went for a hundred grand on Kickstarter to Mm -hmm. build a new studio or something of that nature, right? And, um, and that's a big goal, you know, like dream big. And you just went 25x on that and got two and a half mil. Just cash. That's US dollars as well. <laughs> yeah, it's actually quite a bit more than that in New Zealand dollars. Um, how? I don't, I don't have to be worried about getting kicked off the album. So what the fuck happened there? <laughs> we don't know. Do, no. I mean, I guess the easiest answer to that, and we can talk more about it, but the easiest answer to that is we just have a wonderful community who are very generous. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we've known that for a while now. We have a very successful Patreon page, and we've done a Kickstarter before, which at that time was very successful. Um, yeah. Um, but, it, it, it really did blow our expectations. Yeah. However, 
we did have an amazing team helping us. Uh, it takes a lot of work to create a good Kickstarter. You don't just yeah. kind of go, hey, give us money um, and Thanks. action. Yeah. You're kind of like, you really have to plan it. Yeah. Yeah, I genuinely think we, we made one of the like best Kickstarter page, pages ever. Like, And this is comparing it to some of the ones. Like, there are some pages that made like more money than us, but ours was just so well designed, and we spent so much time coming together with the rewards we could give out, what, what the, the stretch, stretch goals, goals were. Yeah. We tried to keep it really engaging so fans would want to keep coming back and seeing how like how we were progressing. Um, and also basically turning it into a bit of a game. Like you said, yeah. that, uh, our, our goal, uh, you're right, our goal was $100,000, but our true goal in our hearts was not $100,000. <laughs> we, yeah. we knew that we probably needed about a million dollars to even start thinking about getting a studio. Yeah. So that was... At least in my heart, we chatted about this. Yeah. The, the the true goal really was a million dollars US. And that was, oh, that was yeah, US. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but we in in putting that hundred thousand dollar goal and all the other goals we put in there, it kind of gamified the uh, the experience for the fans, so yeah. they could see every time we hit a new stretch goal, a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, four hundred thousand, five hundred. It, it they got something, we got something. There was something a cool little perk here and there that would be yeah. You know, we did a stupid drawing stream, or we auctioned off some of our um, uh, some of our memorabilia j- yeah. just to keep it exciting and keep it engaging, make it feel like a game itself. Yeah, keep, and as Alan said, keep people coming back to the Kickstarter page. Which, if more people are coming back to the Kickstarter page, commenting yeah. on it on the daily, it um, it pushes it through the Kickstarter. Uh, Kickstarter and we had a massive, algorithm. massive hurdle of trying to, we were all quite worried about this, a massive hurdle of trying to promote what exactly this Kickstarter was. Because for our previous Kickstarter, it was really easy. It's a short film. You get a short film. This one is about, like, it's effectively, it's about getting a studio space. Like, it's a lot of this money is going to go down onto the deposit. There's an even worse way to put space. it. You can go, can you guys help us fund a mortgage? Yeah, that's <laughs> honestly it. And then try and frame that into a cool Kickstarter. Yeah, yep, <laughs> yep, and then go. But that like. feels like it's the, you know, like it's the new economy like, like, like of, of fandom is that, like, you know, they know that by donating this money that you're going to be able to, Make more yeah. and, and better. That's of exactly your how thing. we had to, yeah, yeah angle that, it. That's so confronting to the way that everything has been traditionally funded. But you know, that's just one of the million things that you guys do that is so sort of so smart and so different. And um, it, it's, I, I feel like it's most certainly a. It's not even a new economy in in New Zealand. It's just a fully unknown economy in New yes, Zealand. Yes, that's that's true. It's true. most certainly. Not the way it's done, but it's one of the ways it's done in the States at the moment. We, we were chatting with some animators yesterday, mm. and they were praising our Critical Role, who did a Kickstarter about two and a half years yeah, ago now, I think it was. And they raised $9 million US, uh, and it was so successful, Amazon uh bought the rights to the show that they were trying to kickstart. And immediately funded season two. And immediately funded season two, yeah. Yeah. So that's the way that a lot of Hollywood uh, um, studios uh, will try and fund something these days and go, if you're famous, do a Kickstarter, then we'll find uh, a distributor. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, And that's all the time we have. But I I feel like, you know, I I could could talk to you you all day. There's so much in what you're doing. And yeah, congratulations on it. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Cheers. The Fold was brought to you by the Spin Off Podcast Network. It was hosted by Duncan Grieve, produced by T.I. Hair Butler, with production management by Rachel LaRue and series production by Jane Yee.
That was The Fold, brought to you by our partners at O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. Huge thanks to O Media for sponsoring this episode of The Fold and enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Kia ora e te iwi, Te Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.